Shit happens. Hello all and welcome to episode 173 of The Yellow Wallpot. I'm your host Stefan Butzko as always and I'm joined by Matthias Zug once again this week to talk about Borussia Dortmund. Hello Matthias, how are you? Hey Stefan, I'm doing okay. Okay, that is good enough to be on this podcast which probably will also only be okay given the results. But uh, also here, Lars Pohlmann this time. And Lars, are you happy that I didn't pick you first to introduce you this time? I could not care less. I assume I'm that. just here to make uh, bad jokes, especially when Luca isn't around to be number two. All right, then uh, you have at least 10 bad jokes to make. Otherwise, you failed just for that. But I guess you will have about an hour and 30 minutes time going by the length of the recent shows. So yeah, we have to talk about Borussia Dortmund's 2-1 away defeat to Darmstadt. Then we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 1-0 away defeat to Benfica and then their home defeat to Wolfsburg or whatever the result will be in that game. So yeah, a lot of things to get to, but uh, order is important. So Matthias, since uh, you told us in the pre-talk to this podcast that you just watched the game for whatever reason uh, of Dortmund and Darmstadt you can tell us now exactly why Dortmund lost that game uh, because unbeknownst to everybody they did a jersey swap before the match and Darmstadt were Dortmund and Dortmund were Darmstadt for the first 42 minutes um, I honestly it's the most The first 42 minutes of that match were the most shambolic Dortmund I've seen since uh, the first half of the last club season. I mean, it was bad. Uh, there was no organization defensively. There was no communication. There was no fluidity. There was no automatism in any portion of Dortmund's game. And Darmstadt played aggressively, free-flowing, high-press, Dortmund style football. And I have to say, if Darmstadt, and you know my opinion on Darmstadt, <laughs> if Darmstadt play like this continuously, I will be a Darmstadt fan because it was a breath of fresh air. They weren't playing the negative crap they played under Shusta and not even to talk about Novat Maya. Um, there were no dirty tricks really. They were playing nice football and they were taking the game to Dortmund, who seemed completely shell shocked and were not expecting it. Uh, obviously the high rotation didn't really help. Uh, I think Dennis Bunich will not play again unless we have injuries because aside from being a body on the pitch, I really didn't see a point to him being out there. He looked like a deer in the headlights most of the time. And there was just no flow to Dortmund's game. And that wasn't as much Dortmund's fault as I'm going to credit Darmstadt for what they did. They disrupted. They played very nice gegenpressing. And they thoroughly, completely deserved the win and definitely deserved uh, Terrence Boyd's opening goal. Yeah, definitely. Um, Lars, Thomas Tuchel said after the game that Bonic played because he needed a left-footed player. Uh, what were your thoughts going through your mind when he said that? Well, actually, he said it before the game. And uh, yeah, I was a little befuddled, surprised, confused, irritated, angered, disappointed, embarrassed for him because he has a perfectly fine left-footed defensive player with a little bit of experience in the Bundesliga and the body to uh, combat Darmstadt players on a better-than-expected pitch in Don Miguel Merino, who wasn't even in the squad for whatever reason. And uh, even though I'm not going to pin the defeat on uh, 
Bornic or the lineup in general, because I think even with those 11 men, they are supposed to beat uh, Darmstadt, even though, as Matthias said, they did pretty well, Darmstadt did. But uh, to select an 18-year-old to play left centre-back when you have Merino there, when you have Vatra too, who played a few good matches in a row in that role recently, I didn't really understand that decision. And in, given the way they played, uh, having a left-footed player made no difference because he wasn't really involved in the build-up plays anyway. So was kind of a wasted selection there. And as I said, I wouldn't pin the defeat on the lineup or even on Tuchel in himself, but that lone decision itself didn't make much sense to me. Yeah, fair enough. I really knew what I was going for when I asked you that question. Um, Matthias, is it time to call this team arrogant in some situations, especially against inferior opposition? I don't know if arrogance the right word. I think, um, I think I used the word complacent the other week. And I think that's what it was, is complacent. They, they thought, yes, you could maybe say it's arrogance, but they just were not expecting that. And honestly, I put it a little bit less on the team. And in that instance, put it a little bit more on Tuchel because that is your job as a coach to get your team prepared and ready for what you're expecting. Now, the, extreme high pressing that Darmstadt played. I don't think you could necessarily expect that against Dortmund, but that they were going to play fast, quick transition and physical. You absolutely know that's the way Darmstadt, that's the way Darmstadt has been playing since the Dritte Liga. So to be that caught off guard by that, I put that squarely at the feet of the coaching staff, more so than the players, whose attitude also didn't match it. And I think they were already, some of the guys were already in uh, Lisbon. And I know that's been a problem in the past. That was a problem also under Klopp, that we didn't perform well pre or post Champions League matches. So... Uh, It, it, to me, it comes down more to the coaching aspect than the individual players. Okay. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit torn on, on this because I felt like Tuchel kind of knew what was coming. I mean, he said before the game that it will be more of a mental test for them than a tactical one. And then why put Burnich in there? If he knew it was going to be mental, he knew it was going to be physical. Why are you going to put a kid in there who has no experience? So again, I put it more on the coaching than the players. Yeah, but I mean, as a, as a professional, as a football player, don't you have to have some sort of self-motivation to not be that complacent? I mean, do you really need your coach telling you to not be complacent that much? Shouldn't be there a little bit more self-motivation? I don't, I don't know. Lars? Yeah, I mean, uh, as I said, I wouldn't put it on Tuchel, so I'm leaning towards your line of thinking uh, in that regard. Uh, Dortmund's players need only take a look at the table for motivation, in my opinion, because um, obviously the Champions League is big and huge and, and important and whatever, um, but you know, to play Champions League next season, they have to pick up some points and losing at that last Darmstadt, who had picked up one point from their last 11 matches before the, the meeting with Dortmund. Yeah, their last win was in freaking October. I think I think, as I said uh, Again, in, the, in the prediction segment last week um, on our last episode, I said they should be able to win this game comfortably. But if they go into the into the match thinking we only have to show up for for the points to come with us, uh, then they're going to have problems. Now, did I did I see them lose the game with that attitude? Even no, I didn't. And quite frankly, they 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 could have uh, gotten out of there with at least a draw, with a little bit more luck and maybe uh, better finishing in some instances but um, again uh, as you said uh, these are professional football players who if if they need their coach to tell them that even a game against the 18th team in the Bundesliga is important then then I would put that on the players and not the coach that he didn't manage to do it because uh, as Stefan said Tuchel had warned uh, publicly um, that this was going to be a mental test much more so than a test of their quality or anything Yeah, I really, personally, I thought Dortmund were over the hump after Leipzig and Berlin, at least mentally-wise, that they actually would not take this on a light shoulder, but, yeah, show up professionally and put in a shift. I mean, I, I, I expected them to not play at 100%, but 
at least enough to close out the game with relative comfort, which you probably can do if there's just a little bit more sharpness in the, in the passing and, and keeping Darmstadt at bay. But Dortmund, I don't have the fault statistic right in front of me, which I probably should have, but I think it was 20 faults from Dortmund and 10 from Darm Darmstadt, which tells you everything about Dortmund just being a step too slow. And it tells you about who was the referee of that match, to be fair, because as, as always, the other thing, Wolfgang yeah. Stark, every single 50-50 went against Dortmund. Not that that's uh, uh, an excuse for their performance or anything, but it's a fact. And I think we can all rejoice uh, in the fact that Wolfgang Stark will hang up his, I don't know, his refereeing whistle uh, after the season. So unless he gets a goodbye match in the cup or anything, this should have been the last instance of Wolfgang Stark refing Dortmund matches in I think even he admit, would admit that that's probably a good thing. Yeah, probably. But uh, I actually didn't really uh, look at the referee performance in this game because it was just too shambolic. Um, Lars, do you do you think that tactically Dortmund could have mixed it up or take a different approach to maybe not be as uh, incoherent? I don't know that that's a question of their tactical approach. Just because... They didn't do anything crazy. They played more or less the same basic formation they've used the entire second half of the season so far. And even though results haven't always been great, they've looked a bit more comfortable defensively, I would say, uh, since the turn of the year in that formation. So again, I would come back to their execution in that formation and their attentiveness. I think they were caught out by the quickness of uh, Darmstadt's wingers, uh, Marcel Heller and Sidney Sam. They probably didn't expect uh, Darmstadt to be able to play um, accurate passes towards those flanks uh, from mostly Hamid Altentop, who, whom Dortmund made look absolutely brilliant despite the fact that he hadn't played in months and seems to be almost 40 years old and is probably slower than I am these days. But, you know, if, if there's no pressure on a player like that, he has the experience and the eye for uh, situations to, to make things happen. And that's what did happen and then uh, Dortmund had to defend facing their own goal which against a team of Darmstadt's attacking quality is a bad sign because there there isn't too much quality to speak of even though they did well and then uh, especially when when talking about uh, the the goals um, especially the first goal that's just I mean they had numbers in in the box I think they had like six defenders in the box and they just didn't didn't mark Terence Boyd and didn't uh, stop Marcel Heller I think from bringing the ball into the box or in, into into Boyd and you know that you can concede goals like that even uh, with numbers if you're not attentive enough and and again that's not a tactical issue in my opinion that's just being uh, professional enough to deal with the situation and um, we've talked about Bornic a lot, but uh, they had a lot of um, experienced players at the back. I mean, Zokatis did play, for example, and he had uh, arguably one of his worst games of the season. So uh, if you play with younger guys, and Emma Moore also played uh, up front, then you need the, the more experienced players to step up, especially in a situation where, uh, as your own coach said, it's only a mental test, really, and not one of your quality or anything. And when that doesn't happen, uh, things can go wrong. And, and they did in this instance. Yeah. Should we blame uh, uh, Genki Haraguchi for uh, giving Marcel Schmelzer a knock on his knee? Because I I don't know why, but I feel like had Schmelzer been there, this game would have not been lost at least. But I might be wrong, of course. But uh, I think he was also not there when uh, Dortmund bottled it in Ingolstadt. So maybe... <laughs> You know, with with not enough leaders or whatever, there could be some issues. But, you know, I really hate this sort of leader debate. But if there's just so little character on, on the field against the Darmstadt side that really played at their best, then that's, yeah, more or less inevitable at, at some point. Um, Matthias, how did you see Emre Moore, though? He hasn't played in quite a while. Um, You know, I like Emre Moore, but overall, you know, he... There was no end product again, in my opinion, from him. Uh, so far, you know, this was now eight times he's played for Dortmund this season. And uh, to me, you know, he takes a lot of rushed shots. Um, he is of the, the young guys of these 
few teenagers that they have that are playing, uh, the one that has to do the most development, in my opinion, from a mental side um, and a, a game intelligence side, if you compare it to Pulisic or Dembele, uh, as an example. So, uh, you know, he was whirling around, but I really didn't see anything there that I was like, oh, yeah, oh, thank God he has the ball. Now something's going to happen because that's what you feel if you see – Dembele have the ball or Pulisic or Royce, you're like, okay, they can make something happen. With him, you're just like, just don't lose the ball, uh, is, is what I'm thinking. So, you know, he needs to have more opportunities. This was an opportunity for him to play. You'd think against a bottom feeder team like Darmstadt, but maybe also not the right one because he's not physical. You know, I mean, he's not. He's, he's a little dude. And this was not, a. Uh, you know, as Paul Dada would say, you know, as men of football, you know, this was, this was one for the, for the men to play and not, not for the, the kids. Uh, I think Moa probably would be better served in a match like the one that's coming up against Wolfsburg, a team that is not purely based on physicality, uh, like Darmstadt is. Yeah, maybe. Um, but he had a nice assist though to give it that to him. That was a nice flick. Uh, one, one, one opportunity doesn't make it overall in the entire match. No, that's why I didn't uh, really rate him high. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, that, that wasn't really a good performance from any of the 10 outfield players on the pitch. I mean... Oh, no, Birki had a good match. Sorry? Birki had a good match, like you said. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for him, it could have gotten really embarrassing. Yeah, that could have been the scoreline Dortmund could have had against Benfica. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's just really, really uh, sad that Dortmund didn't take the opportunity. I mean, with three points, they could have closed the gap to Leipzig down to five and yeah, claimed third place since all the teams around them lost from second to seventh place, I think it was. So, yeah, as I said, a lot of uh, relief from all those teams that all the other teams lost, but also a lot of regret that none of them pounced on this situation. And yeah, with Dortmund's Champions League ambition, that's uh, certainly a blow. You can, of course, argue that not too much harm was done, but then again, it's just one game, one game less now where you can make up the points. And uh, the next games arguably won't get any easier for Dortmund. And uh, yeah, they... We'll always look back at, at this game if, uh, yeah, the result in the end of the season isn't perfect. So, um, yeah, really sad. And I, I think it's only telling that Darmstadt won the expected goals in, in, in this game by my stats tell me 1.95 to 1.08, which is, which is quite a big margin and also reflects just how deserved Darmstadt won. And usually Darmstadt, when they win, it's more like a smash and grab than, than a deserve, deserving win. I mean, I watched them against Frankfurt on the previous week and they were, they were okay, but not really inspiring at all. And you didn't really see that sort of performance coming. But then again, you're only as good as your opponent lets you be. And Dortmund really let Darmstadt be good in this game. And, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't want to talk anymore about Darmstadt so last unless you have anything to say about this game. We might as well move on to Lisbon. Because that's going to be so much more fun. Yeah, I, I think it is. I actually enjoyed watching the game. It's just a very unlucky result. I don't know. Ma Matthias, we have to yeah. really talk about how two-faced Dortmund are. Because <laughs> within, what was it, three days, four days, you, you more or less saw the absolute worst and more or less the absolute best of Dortmund minus the finishing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was um, a night and day performance now. Again, there were some people who played against Benfica that did not play against Darmstadt. But overall, a lot of the same guys were out there. Um, it was, you know, like I said, the Darmstadt match was one of the worst performances I've seen in a long time from Dortmund. Aside from the scoreline, um, I would have to say that uh, the uh, Benfica match was one of Dortmund's best performances I've seen in a while. Just the scoreline didn't match. And of course, it unfortunately coincided with probably the worst match I've seen from Obama Young in it. I can't even remember how long. I would, I would say the, the game, his game in Darmstadt wasn't exactly stellar either, to be honest. Yeah, but this was bad. I mean, this was just so bad, uh, typified by that penalty that I was hoping he wasn't the guy trying to take it. 
Yeah, I was surprised as well, especially that, you know, the record of Aubameyang taking penalties in, in recent months has, hasn't been superb either. I think he lost, uh, he missed now three of, out of the last four. I mean, the one he took in the cup, that was really great. That was taken with conviction in the top right corner and more or less counters the argument of, of not letting him shoot because against Berlin, he has, he didn't have his best game either. And, uh, yeah, but it's a penalty shootout. Yeah. You know, I mean, then you, you have, you only have so many guys you can't let shoot. Um, and it helped him that, you know, Berlin wasn't able to really be convincing in their penalties. I think that gave him, it, it relieved the pressure on him. Uh, whereas this one, the pressure was all on him. And I would have much rather seen Marco Royce or even Guerrero take it, uh, over, over Obama Young, to be honest. Yeah, or, or Dembele, who's also very good at taking penalties. I mean, it's, it's, it's just weird. I mean, Tuchel said after the game that he took Aubameyang off in the 62nd minute, I think it was, uh, saying mm -hmm. that he wasn't physically fit due to the uh, Africa Cup of Nations, which, uh, didn't really, uh, granted him the chance to have a full winter preparation. And I think it, it has been a theme in the, last four or, or three games with Aubameyang featuring that Dortmund's finishing hasn't been great but not all, only the finishing I, I, I think we talked about that in the, in the last episode but what I actually well what annoyed me more about Dortmund was more or less the build-up is meaning that from promising counter-attacks or promising chances just the last pass was always a bit astray the decision making in the final third playing the final pass that was actually worse than the finishing itself but in, in this game really it, it was the inaccuracy of Aubameyang and uh, also Dembele I mean they could have had easily four or five goals Socrates I think said it after the game it could have been 4-1 or 5-1 easily yeah easily should have been I mean heck it should have been 3-0 at halftime uh and and then things would have played out well obviously they would have played out differently don't would have won they would have <laughs> you know it, it, Bayern wouldn't be the only team pretty much through to the next round Dortmund would be as well i still firmly believe that Dortmund will progress uh because i think they'll have the drive to to show it at home and benfica are such a vastly inferior team uh aside from Maybe their center back pairing, which is good. Um, not great, but good. You know, and people say, oh, they had a heroic effort. It's like, no, Obama Young missed three 100% opportunities, including the penalty. Uh, that's not down to great defending. That's down to bad finishing. It's not heroic defensive effort. That's blind ass dumb luck. And it's the same with the goal that they scored. You know, I mean, it was the really only real chance they had. And, uh, you know, that, <laughs> I mean, Mitroglo is definitely the, you know, the blind squirrel that actually found a nut for once. So, no, I, I was impressed by the way Dortmund played and uh, they deserved so much more. They will advance. I'm completely convinced of that. And all the, the naysayers after the match, you know, bitching about Dortmund and Tuchel and the youth and all that, they can all, you know, take a flying leap because they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Lars, since I do know what you're talking about, can you tell us why Julian Weigel is always awarded so much space in Portugal? I think uh, generally um, in the Champions League, teams have given him too much space. But uh, it's certainly especially obvious in the games against Sporting and now against Benfica in the first leg. It seems... Teams uh, from the southwest of Europe haven't really taken notice about his quality, so something I enjoy very much watching because it was arguably Weigel's best performance in months. I think he hasn't been great uh, in the second half of the season so far, but he was really bossing midfield here. I mean, Benfica set up uh, with two defensive midfielders and two wingers who push up high up the field and a lot of verticality in that side. I mean, it, it benefits a player like him who likes to play really central and have the the whole game in front of him basically in in most situations unless they build up from the deep so the the situation helped him greatly but he really did the best so 
was one of his best performances of the season and and certainly something to look forward to in the in the second uh, leg against Benfica because from what I understand I'm obviously not a huge Benfica expert but they seem to be relatively linear in what they do they have that style they play which is great for the Portuguese league which they are going to win again but uh, doesn't seem to be too many changes in that side uh, going, uh, coming from the coach so unless they have a, a great revelatory plan for the second match against Dortmund I don't really see or as as Matthias does I think 100% Dortmund are going through yeah that echoes what Socrates said after the game as he literally said the same and yeah I did ask the same question as I just asked Lars to Julian Weigel in the mix zone and he said that he also didn't really know why he was awarded so much space but he essentially said that Benfica were probably trying to focus on their own game and that he, <laughs> unsurprisingly, doesn't really mind that he has granted more space in the Champions League than in the Bundesliga. So there's that. Well, I mean, if you're going to set up in a 4-4-2 like they did, but you're going to drop off so much and never press Dortmund's build-up play in any shape or form, except for right after halftime one time, um, you're, you're asking for trouble. And they just got lucky. At the end of the day, they got lucky, and I expect the exact same thing, like last said, the exact same thing in Dortmund, because there they're going to play more on the counter uh, than even at home. Um, so they're just going to give them so much room, and they're just going to pack those two banks of four so deep. Um, so it's, it's going to be a matter of patience. And composure, I might add. Yes. But I agree with you, Matthias, and I think it does shut up the naysayers. At, at least the performance did. And I think the games, both the Darmstadt match and the Benfica match, summed up in a nutshell how bad Dortmund can be, but also just how good they can be and how much potential is still in this team and how much is yet to come. And we mustn't forget it's not only a very young team, but it was also Thomas Tuchel's very first Champions League knockout match. And uh, yeah, I think he will learn from those situations uh, and this will prepare Tuchel maybe for the next year and uh, the team as well that they just know how to handle those situation with the Bundesliga and the Champions League to just do a better job. You always learn more out of defeat than out of victory. Yeah, which is why they lost in Benfica. They did that on purpose for the sake of the learning curve. Exactly. Fußballlehrer. Maybe one quick point before we move over to Wolfsburg and that is uh, the amount of Borussia Dortmund fans that were standing outside the stadium not getting in while the game has already started. And I think there were a couple of Benfica fans as well. And I understand, but I also do not understand why UEFA cannot postpone the kickoff just for the huge amount of fans. Matthias, do you know why they cannot Maybe it's because the UEFA is about as corrupt and inept as the DFB. But the DFB at least postpones the kickoff when there are too many people still stuck in yes. traffic. Yeah, I would I would blame the UEFA a lot less in that situation than maybe the hosts and the host city. Well, the problem was that too many ticket scanners weren't working and that held up things quite a bit. But uh, yeah, sometimes there's just nothing you can do with technology malfunctioning. So they they re they rectified that by using police brutality. No, actually, I was uh, sitting next to Dortmund fans who were right in the middle of it uh, on the way back to Düsseldorf, and they told me that the police found pyrotechnics among some ultra fans, and uh, then they started to frisk everyone more carefully, and thus it took even longer, uh, you know, in combination with the scanners for everyone to get in and uh, yeah it's just really sad that they missed i think the first 20 minutes or so of the game and obviously also the awesome t4 Benfica showed it would took them much longer i mean uh first of all not everybody got in i think a few hundred uh Dortmund fans traveled back to the hotel because they didn't want to miss the entirety of the match and and whoever did get in i think the last uh big wave of fans came into the stadium after like 40 minutes or so. So they almost missed the entire first half. So, I mean, I can understand UEFA that they, they can't postpone a match like that for 15 minutes and then it's still the same situation, then another 15 minutes and so on and so on. I mean, 
you have TV schedules to uh, oblige to, and it's a lot of money involved. But if I had been a fan standing outside the Estadio de Luz uh, on Tuesday evening for 40 minutes with the game going on inside, I would have gone absolutely berserk. So I'm actually quite quite happy that, uh, especially after what happened against Leipzig and with the scrutiny on Dortmund fans at the moment, that they kept their calm for for all I know, for all the, the German press now. I guess so. And uh, I think the absence of Borussia Dortmund fans more or less brings us to Saturday's match as the yellow wall will remain empty and hence will be more or less a grey wall for the exception of probably some orange bibs. I don't know why there are always some uh, stewards hanging around, but, you know. So that nobody sneaks onto that uh, stand. I mean... It's not like it's not like they can uh, put up brick walls uh, on the entrances to the uh, certain blocks on the south stand, so they have to position people there to make sure nobody sneaks on there. I mean, it's fairly fairly self-explanatory. I'm pretty sure you can secure the stands way earlier than that, but uh, yeah, whatever. Let the stewards enjoy the game. I don't care. Uh, Matthias, do you understand the exclusion of fans on the yellow wall? Not at all. Why not? Uh, because it's, you know, we always talk about in society not treating people as a monolith, not letting the actions of the few dictate the opinion of the many. Uh, that's something that gets preached a lot, but then practiced very little. Uh, and this is one of those instances where there were uh, a few, you know, idiots outside the stadium. Uh, who did things they shouldn't have done and, uh, you know, you can't condone violence in any shape or form. Not to mention the yellow wall was already 90% full when it happened. Yeah, and then to go, you know, this is the thing that really annoys me and I have these conversations. I have a six-year-old son and, um, you know, this whole thing about uh, the placards and, oh my God, it hurts someone's feelings. <sighs> How are we going to live with ourselves? We hurt someone's feelings. Damn it. You know, I'm just so tired of that. Yes. Yeah, so what? There were placards. Man up, grow a pair and deal with it. Okay. I don't think Ralf Rangnick gave a crap. Um, and to basically, even if one or two of the placards were objectionable because they hurt someone's feelings in that aspect, they weren't racist. Um, they weren't, um, you know, bigoted or anything like that. So just get over it. And to basically for the DFB, I feel like they were just waiting for an opportunity like this to pounce on Dortmund. And I just found it absolutely ludicrous. I find it, um, Yeah, it's private property. It's not public ground, uh, but it's still a repression of freedom of speech to a certain degree. And people on this, the one placard that said, uh, Bullenschlachten, you know, butcher bulls, they said, oh, it's calling for violence. You know, if anybody read that and said, you know what, I'm going to go out and kill a cow, uh, then that person's a little odd. Nobody actually took it to mean a literal attack on someone. It was a figurative take care and destroy Erbe Leipzig on the pitch as well as the the horrible construct that is that nasty quote-unquote club. So, in my opinion, an absolutely overblown, over-the-top reaction by the DFB who was just waiting to pounce on this and of course the media a lot of the media mainstream media pounced on this in their typical way like they did with pyrotechnics a few uh, years ago um it's all about hyperbole and big headlines and bullshit and to me it's a joke it's a you know fine you know fine the the club even though the attacks happen outside of the club so or outside of the stadium And yes, there were fans, but in theory, at that point, it's more something for the city of Dortmund to take care of. So you really should have fined the city of Dortmund more so than the club. Um, and in my opinion, it's an absolute idiotic and joke of, um, a, uh, of a punishment. Any objections, Lars? Uh, well, it's certainly a harsh punishment and I'm generally not one to like. Uh, collective punishment and the obvious attempt uh, to 
look for uh, self cleansing of the fan rings or whatever people want to call it is is futile as hell but one thing uh, Matthias said I want to object with because he said uh, Ralf Rangnick needs to grow a pair or he he didn't even care um I think making fun of uh mental illness is is not okay and we shouldn't um you know talk about it like it's a, it's not a big deal i mean they they told someone to hang himself i mean obviously nobody would say it to his face but to make it to make a banner out of that to tell someone to hang himself because he suffered from depression a few years ago that's that's crossing a line uh, to me and some of the other things they that those banners said were just not not what i want to see in a football stadium so i can f totally understand some of the um backlash from society in general obviously most of this uh, was about the fan violence in front of the stadium which the uh, punishment doesn't actually cover because there is no way for uh, the the german fa to punish dortmund for something that happened outside of the stadium so they obviously took the banners and and added uh, whatever misbehavior from fans from other games uh, took that together to get to this punishment just to make a statement and and uh, they are obviously i mean matthias said they looked for something to uh punish dortmund for uh that's that's completely correct i mean dortmund were on probation if you like because of fan behavior um i think that stems uh partly from when uh dortmund ultras fired pyrotechnical rockets uh in the revier derby a few years ago if you remember that I think that's some of the the problems now uh, have something to do. Yeah, but they put the uh, probation actually out after the cup final in May, after more pyrotechnics. Yeah, but they take everything into account, and and obviously they were looking for something that that they could really push Dortmund with. And um, the the most the the biggest problem I have is that the the German FA went public with their sentence. And then said Dortmund have until Monday to decide whether they want to challenge this or be okay with it. So usually what the DFAs do uh, in most countries, I think, is they tell the club what the punishment would be, tell them uh, you have until then and then uh, to object to this or agree with it, and then we go public with it. And so they turned this around this time and, and put all the pressure. I mean, uh, if I don't know how much uh, international fans of Dortmund even realized uh, what was going on here but in germany this was basically the biggest topic over donald trump's idios idiocy and and whatever else in, in germany people talked about this and little else for a few days so there was no way for dortmund to uh, object to this ruling without it looking like they condoned what happened even though as dortmund said in their public statement they thought And I would agree with it that the punishment itself was too harsh, but there was no way for them to object with it. So that's my main issue with with what happened here from from the FA side. Yeah, they got backed into a corner that they couldn't, in a PR sense, back out of, uh, get out of also because of the way the argument was framed by the mainstream media. Um, there, And that happens all too often. Stefan and I, we talked about that the last time I was on, just the way the mainstream media frame certain arguments to put it in a way that you can't, there is no room for negotiation. And just to clarify, I never said Rangnick should grow a pair. I think people should grow a pair in general because we're always so worried about somebody getting offended at any given time. Now, making fun of mental illness is not cool, is not okay. Um, and those were clearly that one banner was clearly in bad taste. But overall, you you know, you also have to understand the situation that you're in in terms of, one, the club you're facing in Abbe Leipzig. Two, is a football match. Not everybody that goes to a football match really thinks in a non-emotional, rational way when they put something together, especially in, in the ultra scene, where it is, in general, a much younger scene uh, with, you know, they don't, usually have families and kids and, you know, more responsibilities. So they think about it in those terms. And that's what they did. And I still stand by what I said, that people need to not be so easily offended all the time and need to see it in the context of what it was. 
and not take it in a literal fashion. Yeah, that one banner was in bad taste. But still, I don't think Ralf Rangnick gave a crap about it. Because he knows what the situation is. And he's been above it anyway for a long period of time. Uh, given that the clubs he's chosen to manage. He knows the abuse him and the clubs that he's associated with will get. So, to me... Yeah, that one banner was in bad taste. Should it have blown, should it have blown up into the huge public discussion that it did? Absolutely not. Well, the thing is, the reasoning behind the sentence of the DFB is a bit weak, I find, because obviously that cannot be about the violence because it happened outside their jurisdiction. And the thing is, now the banners and all as disgusting they might have been, they weren't exactly an invention of Borussia Dortmund because I am pretty sure we've seen similar banners from Cologne or even Hoffenheim for crying out loud Wolfsburg I mean there have been just so many protests my question is now last will the DFB maybe use that uh, quote unquote soft reasoning to exercise this sort of penalty more often for a ban in case there is more criticism that emerges towards Leipzig well I I think certainly uh, A the the procedure I mentioned earlier uh set a dangerous precedent because they, they now know they can uh, pressure clubs into agreeing to sentences just by uh, using the, the the force of the media or the, the general societarily uh, backlash. But uh, I don't really see how that relates to Leipzig only. I think uh, they, they don't really have a problem with criticism towards Leipzig if it's in a civil manner. And for the most part, uh, it was in Dortmund too. Uh, let's not make it more than it was. But I think there's a general cry in the society uh, in Germany for, you know, strict resolutions and, and quick judgment and, and resoluteness from the state and whatever. So the, the German FA want to, want to appear, uh, what's it in English? Handlungsfähig? Is there a word for that? Yeah, they did quick, quick to react, quick to react, quick to, yeah. react to, to what, to when, when things go wrong and they, they want to seem decisive and whatnot. So, um, as I said, it, it sets a dangerous precedent, but I wouldn't go as far as saying that it's, uh, aimed at criticism towards Leipzig. No, I, I wouldn't go also that's Leipzig specific. I think it, it follows a, a DFB, um, mantra. Historically, they were always interested in, neutering the clubs if we go way back 50s 60s 70s financially neutering them because of their weird aspects we have to be amateur and they can't make too much money and players can't make too much money well now they in my opinion this is just my opinion they would very much like to neuter football fans ultras and so on to just be consumers calm down pay your tickets buy your stuff and just be a consumer versus being the fan culture that we do have in German football. And I, I may be alone in that opinion. I don't think I am, but I, I do believe the DFB in the way that they are uh, in that the way they always have been would prefer fans to be, I'm not going to use the word civil, but to be more, I don't know, I'm not even going to say conservative, but just not as fan-like. Yeah, maybe less outspoken, less opinionated. Yes, yeah, just be quiet and pay us. And the problem here is that those people actually should be banned. They just don't care. You know, it's a collective punishment for all. But, you know, just look at what happened the next Saturday against Darmstadt. You know, there were 90 or something hooligans stopped by the German police on their way to Darmstadt. And they had all sorts of things with them, drugs balaclavas, uh, MMA gloves, and I, I don't know what else. And uh, they were seeking for trouble. And it doesn't really seem like uh, this ban or punishment by the German FA stops them in any sort of way. And the funny thing is now um, the police obviously couldn't give those names to Borussia Dortmund because Dortmund are not the state department and privacy policy does not allow it, which is, I think, actually a good way that the privacy policy is respected in Germany. But... Uh, yeah, you would imagine that the police would give them the names anyway for stadium ban. Now they uh, regulated that over the German FA. And uh, if I am 
correctly informed, the German FA actually gave a nationwide stadium ban to now 88 hooligans because of that, right? Mm -hmm. No, no, it came down today just the way you said it. And for obvious reasons, uh, it's almost poetic that it was 88 people who got banned for... I don't know if it's for life or, or for, for just the season or whatever, or for whatever span of years, but it's just perfect that it was 88. I mean, we shouldn't make fun of Dortmund's problem with right-wing extremists and, and general neo-Nazis, but it was just perfect to read that 88 people who wanted to be, to, wanted to riot basically or be hooligans around a, a normal football game without any rivalry between teams or anything. I mean, Darmstadt and Dortmund have zero history together, so. For that to be uh, a scene of war in 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 their hopes and dreams, uh, crazy as that may sound, I mean that's just so 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 unimaginable to me. What what goes on in the minds of people to to come to a football game with bataclavas and and I mean pyrotechnics are one thing, but but they had genu genuine weapons with them. I mean, what the fuck is wrong with people nowadays? It, you know, as a as someone who stood in the stands in the mid nineties as a teenager, um, when hooliganism was rampant in German football, in European football culture, significantly more than it is these days. Um, it, it was just a thing they did. The, the football was so secondary. It was about going out and getting your jollies off by knocking the crap out of each other. Um, and, uh, it was at times really, really, really dangerous. Correct. And, uh, as you said, for them, football seems to be secondary. And, uh, it's not only a problem of Borussia Dortmund or football per se. I think this has to be said very clearly that this is a bigger problem for the city of Dortmund or the, general region or even Germany. Uh, you know, it's a problem of society that there are just too many people who are driven by hate and who think that violence is either fun or a solution or a measure to uh, push their agendas through. And I really do not like it at all. And I fully condemn it. And yeah, it's not only a problem for Dortmund, but for, for everyone really. And uh, yeah, instead of pointing the finger just on the club and, and looking at it through the scope of football, it should be seen through a completely different lens. And I think the local government or the, the government in general should raise way more awareness and, and not only just blame it on, on, on football, because as I said, those people are not necessary football fans, but just use it as the instrumentals or, or whatever you want it. Although, of course, some of them do like football, but yeah. No, those people are criminals and need to be treated like criminals. Exactly, Matthias. And before we criminally extend the length of this show, we should move over to Wolfsburg. Seamless. Seamless. I know you're wow. not used to that kind of professionalism on this show. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's move on. Matthias. Um, yeah. Mario Götze will once again not be in the squad yeah. due to abductor problems. And, uh, yeah, I've actually read that some people think it's only ex an excuse that they only pretend he's injured so Tuchel doesn't have to pick him because he doesn't like him or such. I don't know how the uh, conspiracy theories <laughs> grow to that extent. But, yeah, that's a lot of crap, of course. But, um, Matthias, to the actual question now that I wanted to ask, and that is such, Borussia Dortmund have played in a similar style and lineup in the last games against... Uh, Berlin, Leipzig, Benfica, and so with a back three and two wingbacks. So, uh, Matthias, do you think that Tuchel will uh, deploy similar tactics and uh, maybe stick to the lineup that seems to be uh, what uh, yeah is his favorite pick for now? Um, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, keep him playing that way. Um, I mean, I'm not. I'm not fully convinced of Duom, but uh, I'd, I'd like to see Paslak out there. But, uh, you know, that, you know, it's, you'd like to keep a team playing together, maybe not rotate quite as heavily 
Um, also to develop something that's, I know, very near and dear to your heart, namely automatisms, especially in a defensive sense where you need them and where you can train them and play them a lot more than you can in an attacking sense. Um, I, I think he's not going to alter the majority of the squad for Wolfsburg. One or two, yeah, uh, just because natural fitness, tiredness or whatever. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Guerrero gets a break, um, but I think um, the majority of the squad will stay the same. Last Wolfsburg just beat TSG Hoffenheim. Um, how do you actually see their development? Thankfully, I can't because I don't watch Wolfsburg, um, and I I don't think I've seen them this 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 calendar year. But uh, on the the Dortmund formation. Uh, we have to take into account that in two of the matches uh, you mentioned, Stefan, they switched formations uh, at or shortly after halftime because it didn't really work. So uh, both against Hertha and Darmstadt, they started with back threes and ended up with back fours. So um, I think you did. Uh, nevertheless, um, I, I do think that uh, Tuchel has realized what his best uh, defensive shape is, uh, especially in possession so they don't get caught out when they lose the ball, and that is with uh, Bartra, Sokratis, and Piszczek. Um, I think Bartra, as I said uh, about 200 hours ago uh, in an earlier portion of the podcast, did really well in the last few games. Um, he seems to be back on track, uh, playing at the or close to the level he showed, let's say, in August and September when we all thought he was really good and not his post-muscle injury who the hell is this guy? Why, why is, uh, why does he have Mark Batra's jersey, uh, performances, um, from, you know, November, December, and even in preseason now in, in January. So I think he really likes that setup with those three at the back. Um, the, my, my problem with it is, even though I, I love and adore, uh, captain of my heart, Marcel Schmelzer, and, uh, he's not, really the best fit for that left wing back role and Eric Dorm while he hasn't been absolutely terrible for the most part uh, he's just not good enough in my opinion to be a player uh, who starts every game for Dortmund his technical level was incredibly poor against Benfica again I think he lost every single ball at at his first touch or, or close to every single ball I mean it, it felt like whenever he was in the vicinity of the ball the, the possession switched to uh, Benfica and and the same can't happen against Wolfsburg because I think uh, Wolfsburg, while uh, they were surprise winners against Hoffenheim and have now picked up a bit of a cushion in, in the uh, relegation fight, I think they have now six points advantage over Bremen in the playoff spot. Uh, they they still, from, from what little I have seen of them uh, recently, seem like a side that can crumble under pressure a bit and... and Dortmund obviously need to show a reaction for uh, to the Darmstadt match and even in part to Benfica and the 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 big unknown of course is the uh, closure of the yellow wall but overall I think Dortmund will need to exert themselves a bit put a lot of pressure on Wolfsburg uh, especially early on and and you know at some point the goals will come uh, their their finishing hasn't been uh, up to par in 2017 but there's no reason to think that that's going to extend for much longer because that's not how finishing works so get a get an early lead against Wolfsburg see uh, the visitors crumble under pressure a bit and I think we are in for a, a better scoreline uh, in this one do you think Wolfsburg are maybe a little bit sharper since uh, Daniel Didavi is back I know uh, for a fact that you are very fond of him, and I've heard that Wolfsburg only turned the game around after his introduction. Yeah, but but they, they did turn the Hoffenheim match around, but they scored two jammy goals that didn't have much to do with them playing overly well. I mean, the first one, I think, was a ball that ricocheted uh, to Maxi Arnold, uh, who hit it brilliantly, and the second one was like a tap-in from Didavi from, I don't know, three or four yards after a scramble in the box. So, I mean... Not that that hasn't happened to Dortmund uh, at all this season. I mean, they, they've they conceded some shit goals that, uh, on their own right, but uh, it's not like Wolfsburg turned the game around with the brilliant performances. It was more about Hoffenheim not really 
being up to their standards from what I understand because I didn't care watching the match but uh, I, I did see the goals and, and they they weren't uh, you know beautifully played out or anything so it's, it's not like Wolfsburg really turned the corner here I don't think Matthias do you think that Dortmund actually have turned the corner yes solid answer <laughs> No, um, I have to agree with him on every single point. And, you know, you, you add to that that, you know, Wolfsburg are not a tactically high-functioning team. Let's put it that way this season. Um, I, they're always good for a goal. They have some individual quality left, even though most of their individual quality has left. Um I, I still, I see this as, um, the match for Dortmund and the players, given also that the South Stand's not going to be there, given the loss in Darmstadt, given the loss in Lisbon to basically come out and show what they're made of. And, you know, basically a big fat middle finger to the doubters, uh, the clickbaiters and the DFB. Yeah. And looking at Wolfsburg's away record there, Eighth in the away table, but uh, considering the stadium will be half empty, we actually have to look at uh, Wolfsburg's home table where they are 15th. <laughs> but, but, but Stefan, you did notice that they have the same amount of points at home uh, as they do away. Yes, I did notice. They have, I think they have picked up 22 points and it's 50-50 home and away. So I know, I just wanted to make a joke, man. But but I think they have. Uh, the, they're they're going to feel yeah. like they're playing at home because it's going to be so quiet. Yeah, I don't think it will be because I think this is the game where where people can show that it's it doesn't take Carpos and the the South Stand to make for a, yeah. a pretty good atmosphere. I mean, it's going to be somber, especially if the game doesn't go well because there's no organized support. But I think uh, if Dortmund give the three quarters of the stadium because I don't think the Wolfsburg away support will do much. Uh, give them something to to cheer about. It will be loud still, even without the the, yeah. the soft stand. Agreed. Matthias, is this the part of the show where we explain the term Sitzplatzkanaken? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you touch that one. I, I offend enough people. Yeah, maybe, maybe maybe not since this is a rather degrading term and I don't really like yeah. it. But um, yeah, it more or less uh, is in, an insult to people who were. Uh, do not actively support this team, but rather sit on the, on the stands and, and just watch. You know, the, the thing about that term that I find so wonderfully stupid, um, is that it is, you know, there's always this term elitism and there's elitism amongst football fans, um, especially in Germany that, you know, a lot of people who are part of ultra groups think they're the only true fans. Um, the fact that a lot of people in ultra groups these days, um, are born after the year 2000, uh, and, and ignore the fact that there are plenty of people that have been supporting their club since way before they were born. It's, it's just that kind of elitist derogatory towards people. It's almost come to that point of if you're not an ultra, you're just not a real fan. Um, and that's just stupid. I mean, we are recording this for people from around the world and I'm pretty sure that all of them are fans. Yeah. I mean, if you're 5,000 miles away or live right across the street, doesn't really matter. You're a fan if you like if, the team. If you spend money to come to the game to watch your team that you like play, you are a fan. If you're still around after the damn shot game, you are a fan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, um, and like you said, if you're sitting in New Zealand and watching it, you're a fan. So it's, it's a, it's a stupid term, um, made by people that are ignorant and elitist. Yeah. And you cannot forget that there are just many elderly people on the stands who once were more active supporters, but you know, age got to them and now they sit. Yeah. Or people with little kids, you know, I mean, I've got a four year old and a six year old. And I'm not, gonna take my four-year-old daughter into the south stand you know it's just it's not the right environment for a four-year-old um that doesn't make yeah, me or her beer showers yeah it's, it doesn't make me or her less of a fan at all and also there are still Dortmund fans in the standing area against Wolfsburg uh because there's a youth block and I'm not too sure if the uh, away 
and will also be open for standing areas because more often than not, teams like Wolfsburg don't bring too many fans and thus the away end is open for Dortmund fans, the standing area, and uh, the fans actually go to the northeast stand there and yeah, everyone else can rise up to the occasion. It, it is an advantage that they do this ban ahead of a match against Wolfsburg. You know, I think the only other one where it would have been, you know, equally as lame maybe would have been like Hoffenheim. You know, where there's just not a lot of support that travels with them. So, you know, it's not going to make that big of a difference. Yeah, and while we are on uh, teams like Wolfsburg and Hoffenheim, we actually do have a listener question that uh, more or less uh, concerns that topic. And uh, it was Tim Aumann who asked us, I understand the tradition of community or publicly owned clubs and opposition to corporate-owned clubs. However, I don't understand the level of animosity towards Leipzig when there seems to be much less concern with Hoffenheim and none towards Leverkusen or Wolfsburg and all four essentially corporate-owned clubs. What makes Leipzig different? And uh, Matthias, I uh, told you before the show about this question and you told me you will answer that with delight so <laughs> please go ahead and answer it with delight <laughs> okay i'll show you the delight a little bit less ranty um because i think you know we've actually discussed this on this show ad nauseum in the past um you know the big difference is if you look at those four clubs uh just explaining a little bit of the history uh tsk hoffenheim of course yes they have an investor sponsor uh in deep Hop. He comes from that town. He actually used to play for that club. It is an actual club that has existed. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen and VfL Wolfsburg, uh, just like a uh, Karl Zeiss Jena, as an example, or Schott Mainz, they are Werksklubs. So these are workers' clubs that got founded way back when, like in 1904. It's the case with Bayer Leverkusen. Um, by uh, people who worked for that factory. In that case, it was the the Bayerwerke, uh, the chemical company. And they organized a football club for people who worked for that entity. Um, and, you know, they were actually in the Oberliga West. Um, and they've been in the Bundesliga since the early 80s, I believe, uh, or late 70s. And so there there is still... A tradition there. It's not a Traditionsverein, as say a Dortmund, where it's the, the structure is a little bit different. But where those all differentiate from Leipzig, Leipzig, first of all, Red Bull. There is no Red Bull factory in Leipzig, as far as I know. They are an Austrian company. Uh, they they bought the license of a club, a lower league uh, German club, rebranded it to. Rasenballsport, because they weren't allowed to use the term Red Bull, because Bayer Leverkusen, again, Kalzasina got grandfathered in because of history. Um, this was just a marketing ploy to put Red Bull in there. These aren't workers from the factory. Uh, the membership of the quote-unquote club is predominantly Red Bull executives in some shape or form. It's very expensive to become a member. Um, And their whole construct is different. Uh, they they don't really care. Uh, you know, Mateschitz doesn't care about Leipzig. Leipzig was a good place to have it because you don't have any major other clubs around there to compete with. You walk into a Bundesliga-ready stadium uh, and you have a lot of the infrastructure already in place. Now, that being said, I know they want to look at building their own new stadium outside of the city. Um, whereas someone like Dietmar Hopp, I would, even though I'm critical of the way Hoffenheim have come up and, and all that kind of stuff. He's not going to be the kind of investor who gets bored of the club, walks away and leaves it in shambles. I read a story today about FC Wiel in Switzerland, who that's happening to right now, because he's from that town. This is his town. This is his club that he played for when he was a kid. So there's more to it for him. Abbey, they don't care. I mean, this is once they would get a club into, say, the Premier League, Abbey Leipzig is going to be treated like uh, Red Bull Salzburg. You know, it's a redhead stepchild in that sense. So there's that huge difference in those in those levels. And Stefan, you pointed it out before we recorded that when Hoffenheim first came to the Bundesliga, the protests against Hoffenheim were just as 
vicious, as you would say, um, against Hoffenheim as they are against Leipzig. But Leipzig has just taken it to the nth degree because it was never even a club. You know, it's basically a franchise, for lack of a better term. And they muscled their way into the Bundesliga, into the second Bundesliga even, but basically threatening the DFL, who didn't want to give them a license originally, with litigation to the European court, which would have destroyed the 50 plus one rule and potentially would have destroyed our entire club and football culture in this country. So the DFL basically had no choice to give them the license to let them in. They changed a few little things here and there to save face, but that's one of the big, big differences. That's why there's so much hatred towards this construct of a club. Glad you didn't start a rant, Matthias. <laughs> well, it's not a rant. I, I stayed pretty even keeled. You know, I didn't yell. I didn't scream. I didn't curse. It's pretty factual, I would say. Yeah, it's uh, basically a TED talk over here. But yeah, for now, we might actually move on to predictions. And uh, Lars, you go first. It would be so poetic, uh, wouldn't it, if this was uh, Thomas Tuchel's first home loss in the Bundesliga since taking charge of Dortmund in the summer of 2015, right? I mean, without the, the South Stand, that would be the ultimate uh, confirmation that that the the yellow wall makes a true difference uh, in in a way but i can't really see it as i mentioned before i think dortmund have the chance to get some things off their chest in this one so i'm going with a 3-1 for the home side matthias uh i'm going to go with a 2-0 for dortmund a relatively comfortable 2-0 well i'm actually going with a stalemate here 2-2 draw i think Wolfsburg will score all the chances they missed in the reverse fixture, which also could have easily yielded in a draw. And uh, Dortmund are yet to score three goals since the turn of the year in one game. And I just don't see this happening uh, on Saturday. So yeah, 2-2 is my pick. Anyway, I had a really enjoyable show, you guys. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on, even though... The results weren't as great. I at least had fun recording. So as a token of my gratitude, you now may tell us where people can find you on the internet, starting with you, Lars. So that only happens after good shows, Stefan. So we, we have, we've, we've had, we've had 173 perfect shows. Yes. I, 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 I've what been I was only trying to say in, let's say 40 of them. So we've had 40 perfect shows. That's great. Um, yeah. People can find me on Twitter at Lars Polman. That's it. Perfect. Yeah, that's, that is correct. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter as well at Matthias Suk. Yeah. And since all our Twitter handles are so creative, you can find me at Stefan Butzko. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find the show on Twitter as well at Yellow Wallpod or Facebook Yellow Wallpod. And, uh, yeah, you can subscribe to the actual podcast on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And if you want to reach out uh, with a longer query, you can do that on our contact form, which you will find on yellowwallpod.com, where you can also find all our written content. And uh, there is little less more to say than goodbye until next week. <laughs>